We got Second Peter chapter three, verses five to twelve. Subject this morning is global warming, the final destruction of the earth. Well, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing upon the ministry of his holy word. Father, thank you for your word. It is sufficient to understand not only the distant past, but also the ultimate future. We pray that as we consider that ultimate future, the Holy Spirit would shine light upon us and would glorify your great and holy name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now at the youth retreat, we considered the beginning, the true story, the Creator's inspired diary, because there was no one else there but God, of how this world really started. And this morning, I want to consider the end. God started it, And God will finish it. The first day and the last day. And as scripture tells the story of the beginning in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 through Moses, so it tells the story of the end. And the version of that story is from the inspired writing of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. About the issue, where's the promise of his coming? People denying that Christ is ever coming back. Peter says about such people, for this they willfully forget that there were heavens from of old and an earth compacted out of water and amidst water by the word of God, by which means the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. It's talking about the global destruction of the then world through the flood. There was an actual, real true, historical, worldwide flood and only eight humans escaped in the ark, Noah and his family, and we are all descended from Noah. We are all blood relatives descended from Noah and those that were in that ark. People forget that. But the heavens that now are and the earth, by the same word, have been stored up for fire. Like there was a global flood, there's going to be a global fire. Whence? Global warming. A global fire being reserved against the day of judgment 
and destruction of ungodly men. But don't forget this one thing, beloved, that one day is with the Lord like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord isn't slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, the day of judgment, the day of destruction of ungodly men, the day of the Lord will come as a thief. And what's going to happen? When he comes in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. What's going to happen then? It will come as a thief in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will be dissolved or melted with fervent heat and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Global warming. Seeing that these things are in this manner, all to be dissolved, what manner of person should you be in all holy living and godliness looking for and earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God by reason of which the heavens being on fire will be dissolved and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Peter describes the final destruction of the earth. Describes that final destruction in great detail. And I have three things to say about it. The story, the signs, and the stay. First of all, consider with me the story. When is this going to happen? And the answer is, this is going to happen on the day of judgment. And Second Peter, he says repeatedly that this will take place on the day of the Lord. This will take place on the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And it says in verse 7, explicitly that the heavens that now are and the earth have been stored up for fire being reserved against the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men and when is that? Jesus himself tells us when that is. He says but when the son of man will come in his glory and all the angels with him then he sits on the throne of his glory and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. When Jesus comes back, connected with the second coming of Christ, you have the resurrection from the dead, 
you have the destruction of the earth in a global fire. You have the judgment day. And then you have eternal damnation and eternal life in a new heavens and earth wherein dwells righteousness. The Bible teaches that this global warming by which the world is destroyed takes place in conjunction with the second coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the day of judgment. Let me tell you, folks, this is not something that you're going to mistake when it happens. You're not going to wonder, oh, I wonder, is this it? Is this it? No. This is going to be unmistakable, worldwide, global destruction. And it's going to happen when Jesus comes back and he judges the wicked and raises the dead and ushers in new heavens and earth wherein dwells righteousness. So, that's the first thing. That's when it happens. Context is very clear. Then this, so the first question with regard to the story of this global warming and destruction and great fire, the question of when. When does it happen? The day of judgment at the second coming of Christ. Second question, what happens? What is the extent of this global destruction? Now Peter tells us some things, but there's a whole lot more to it. First of all, you have the evaporation of the oceans. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and earth were passed away, and the sea is no more. Secondly, you have the combustion of the forests. For it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief, and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Next, you have the combustion and dissolution of the atmosphere. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, looking for and earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God by reason of which the heavens being on fire will be dissolved. The heavens will pass away with a great noise and the heavens will and they'll be on fire a burning and ripping off the earth from the atmosphere. And next, liquefaction. Liquefaction refers to the process of making something liquid. It usually refers to a gas, but in this case, the solid rocks of the earth. The liquefaction of the solid elements. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the which the elements will be dissolved with fervent heat, looking for an earth in which the elements will melt with fervent heat. Oceans evaporate, forests burn, atmosphere burns and gets ripped off the earth, the elements melt with fervent heat. And what would the surface of the earth look like 
if it was molten rock? Well, the composition of the sand on the shore is silicon dioxide. And silicon dioxide can be melted. It's also the composition of granite and other rock is mostly silicon dioxide. Do you know what is made by melting silicon dioxide? Glass. So if it was liquid silicon dioxide on the surface of the earth, what would it look like? And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire standing by the sea of glass having harps of God. That's what it would look like. The surface of the earth melted with fervent heat. It would look like a sea of glass. And when that happens, all the ungodly are going to die. It's the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And like the ungodly died in the flood, so also they're going to die in the fire. They're not going to live through it. They tried to climb up to escape from the floodwaters, and they failed because they covered all the mountains. And if they weren't in the ark, they died. I think probably they're going to try to climb down to escape from the fire, and they're going to fail. They may be those crying out to the rocks, hide us and cover us and protect us from the wrath of the Lamb. But those melting rocks are not going to protect them from the wrath of the Lamb. And they're going to die in that fire, just like the wicked died in the flood. How's it going to happen? So what's, when's it going to happen? The day of judgment. What's going to happen? It's going to get pretty hot. And it's not going to get so hot that the, ocean, that the, the ice caps melt and the water rises up two feet in the ocean. It's going to get a little hotter than that. It's going to evaporate the oceans, burn up the forests, melt the elements, rip the atmosphere off the earth when it's flaming, kill everybody that's alive on earth, and leave the surface of the earth looking like a molten sea of glass. That's pretty hot. Oh, come on. There's nothing that hot. What would you do if you wanted to create that kind of heat? Well, let's just make believe and pretend for a minute. If I wanted to generate that kind of heat and burn up the earth, you know what I'd do? 
I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd have it going through space at 66,000 miles an hour around a big furnace with a surface of the corona temperature of a million degrees and a surface temperature of 6,500 degrees Kelvin. Oh, but that, oh, come on. There's nothing like that. There's no big furnace out there with a surface temperature of 6,500 degrees and a corona temperature of a million degrees. Oh, come on, you're making it up. That's science fiction. Really? Is it? You know what? I don't think it is. I think there is such a thing. It really exists. And right now, we are about 93 million miles away from it. And the sun was given to scorch men with fire and with great heat, and they blasphemed God, and so on and so forth. So I can't tell you dogmatically that the sun is going to burn the earth up. I can't tell you absolutely that that's what's going to happen. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you that it sure could. And if I were going to do it, I'd just have the earth get a little closer to that big furnace. And did you know that there are equations? Actually, one basic equation. that you can use, and I, I, I deliberately, I struggled with whether I should actually pre prepare a chart, and I decided not to do it, because I think it would be just too crude to preach on, and I, it would be too crude. Have you ever heard of a black body equation before? That you could predict the temperature of the earth and all you have to know is the radius of the sun, the temperature of the sun, and the distance between the sun and the earth, and you can predict what the temperature of the earth would be under the surface. Did you know that? You know you can predict it pretty close? You know the people use that equation to try to calculate what the temperature of the sun is? Did you know that? And roughly at 93 million miles, the temperature of the ground underneath the frost line between 50 and 60 degrees at 93 million miles from the sun. What would it be if it were 60 million? What would it be if it were 30 million? What would it be if it were 20 million? What would it be if it were 10 million? What would it be if it were 2 million? What would it be if it were 1 million? A million miles away? If it were a million miles away, the surface temperature of the earth would be so hot that everything that Peter said would happen. Literally. Oceans evaporate. Peter didn't specifically mention that, but that would. The forest burn up. The atmosphere would burn. You say, how could the atmosphere burn? Well, let me tell you what. If the forest burned, there would be combustible gases in the atmosphere. The atmosphere would no longer consist of just mainly nitrogen and oxygen. It would have a whole bunch of other stuff in it, and it would be combustible. And it would at least reach the spontaneous combustion temperature of hydrogen. And it could oxidize. 
that got close enough, hot enough. I don't know about this, but you know what thunder is, right? Rapidly heated air, or, or, or very air that's heated very hot, moving very rapidly, makes a very loud noise. We call it thunder. Imagine the kind of noise that would be made if a rapidly moving atmosphere got ripped off the earth when it got close enough to the sun by a little phenomenon called solar wind or some other issue that ripped it off. Can you imagine the noise that would make? Hard to imagine, isn't it? We take for granted that the arrangement between the sun and the moon and the earth that's existed since the fourth day will just continue to go on forever. Why do you take that for granted? Did you bring the sun, moon, and earth into proximity with one another and arrange them on the fourth day so that we would have the stability of life that we've enjoyed? No, you didn't, and neither did I. Who did? God. And when did he do that? On the fourth day. So I can't tell you dogmatically that this is what's going to happen. But I can tell you that it's not all that hard to explain if you just assume one simple thing, that instead of being 93 million miles from the sun, the earth is closer, to a, than, a, closer than a million miles from the sun. And it burns up. And the elements melt with fervent heat. And it would be hot enough to melt silicon dioxide. Granite, sand, it would be hot enough to melt it if it were that close. And the signs that Jesus indicates suggest that possibly this could be. Speaking about his second coming and the destruction of the temple. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon won't give her light. And the stars, and two different words for stars, and the word here is aster, from which we get asteroid. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens that were established on the fourth day, they're going to be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man, and they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You know, Hollywood made a movie about a big asteroid that was going to come and hit the earth, and Bruce Willis went up and saved us all. But if God chooses to send a meteorite shower on the earth to change its course and change its direction. And it's very interesting, is talking about the sun being darkened first. And I recently heard Pastor John preach about this, and he suggested the connection of earthquakes. And, uh, no, I think he actually suggested the connection of volcanoes. And the connection of volcanoes. It, it could well be that there's going to be earthquakes and volcanoes associated with this because the volcano 
puts out such a cloud. And if there were more than one, it could put out such a cloud as to darken the sun. Could be. Well, I'm not saying that can't be. It could be the beginning of things, the darkening of the sun with volcanic eruptions. Changing the trajectory of the earth with asteroid strikes. People say, ah, if an asteroid hit the earth, it would absolutely destroy it and there would be nothing left. Really? How do you know that? You mean to say that God couldn't bring asteroids into connection with the earth? I mean, here's the thing. You mean God couldn't bring asteroids into connection with the earth to hit the earth and alter its orbit and bring it so that it would move rapidly right into close proximity to the sun. God couldn't do that. So on the fourth day, God made the sun, moon, and stars. And on the fourth day, God configured the sun and the moon so that there would be this enjoyment of continuity and stability that we've had for the last, say, 6,000 years since God did that. But God can't change it. So you could believe that on the fourth day he arranged it and configured it, but he can't change it. Especially, he can change it, especially when it says the powers of heaven are going to be shaken. That he himself established on the fourth day. And all he would have to do is alter the course of this little rock going through space at 66,000 miles an hour around a furnace with a corona temperature of a million degrees. And all he'd have to do is just change its course. And it'd burn up. And how are you going to see the signs? Well, these are the signs. The powers of heaven shaken. The second coming of Christ. And people are still going to be alive when that happens. Because when Jesus appears in the clouds, and the clouds are still going to be there when he comes, the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us that are believers will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air which will still be there. And we'll ever be with the Lord in glorified resurrection bodies while the wicked are still on this earth and the wrath of God descends upon the wicked that are left here. As the earth, by whatever means God uses, whether the one that I said is possible or whatever means God wants, I mean, he could also increase the temperature of the sun so that at 93 million miles it does all that stuff. I'm not saying God can't do that. God can do whatever he wants. But they're still going to be on the earth when it heats up and the oceans evaporate and the forests burn and the elements start to melt with fervent heat. The atmosphere is ripped off the earth. They're still going to be here and they're going to die in that fire. All of them are going to die in that fire. However God does it on that day. And right now, what we have is the stay of execution. And why do we have the stay of execution? Because he's not willing 
to leave any of his chosen behind. But he wants them all to come to repentance. And as long as there are still people on this earth that he intends to save, this will not happen. Because he's a merciful God. Well, here, this is what some of you are waiting for, huh? Right? You're waiting for that? There you go. There it is for you. First of all, be holy. Be holy. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will be dissolved with fervent heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Seeing that these things are thus going to be dissolved, what kind of person should you be in all holy living and godliness? This calls us to a godly way of life. These things that are all around us are going to end. We ought not to be overly attached in our heart to the things of this world. But our heart should be set ultimately on God and on serving Him and pleasing Him. Because if we're not, if we're engaged in living in sin, it's going to come upon us unawares and we're not going to be ready. It calls upon us to have our hearts and our lives dedicated to God and to His glory supremely above everything else so that when this day comes, we'll be ready to meet Him. Secondly, it means we should be hopeful looking for and earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God, by reason of which the heavens being on fire will be dissolved and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and earth in which dwells righteousness. This is something, I don't say we should be longing for people to be destroyed, no, no. But we should be longing for the second coming of Christ and hoping for a new heavens and a new earth and a world where there's no more wickedness, no more sin, evil, hate, lies. A world in which dwells righteousness where these former things of sin and suffering and death are all behind us and we have them no more. And we just have a, a new world, a new heavens, a new earth. Well, how do you put together the destruction of this world, and what Paul talks about, the redemption of creation. Well, I can't tell you dogmatically. I could tell you this. My main concern, my primary concern is not to be able to explain it all. My primary concern is to be with Christ forever. And what I think is, it's possible. Because he often operates this way. That he will take a remnant of this world that he's judged and destroyed. And from that remnant, create a new heavens and a new earth. In which only the righteous will dwell forever. Can you imagine? After the day of judgment, this world is burned up and destroyed. And he creates... He redeems it by taking a remnant of it and creating from it a new heavens and a new earth where there's no more sin, 
No more death. No more suffering. Forever. Of primary concern to every one of us ought to be the hope, the solid expectation, the confidence that we will be there with Jesus. It calls upon us to hope. And calls upon us to be diligent. Wherefore, beloved, expecting these things, give diligence to be found by him spotless and blameless in peace. So we're to make it a matter of conscience, a matter of diligence, that we would be spotless and blameless. Not that I'm suggesting that any of us can achieve sinless perfection in this life. We can't. I know that. None of us can. But that we would live with a good conscience. That there would not be in our lives any unmortified sin of which we are aware that we are living in gross hypocrisy, that we're saying that we're one thing here in public on Sunday and then we go live some other way during the week that we know is wicked and evil and deceitful and hypocritical. Don't live like that. But give diligence that you would live with a good conscience, pure, spotless, blameless, So that when he comes, you hear from his voice, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And finally, it calls us to confidence. Confidence. And regard the long-suffering of the Lord as salvation, even as our beloved other brother Paul wrote. You know, Confidence that he is coming back. Confidence that the Bible is true. Confidence that this is all going to happen. This world, by whatever means God chooses to do it, it will be burned up. Just like Peter says. It's going to happen. Confidence that the only reason it isn't happening right now is because he still intends to save people. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's patient. Maybe it's his intention to save you. I hope so. I entreat you. I know he's intending to save somebody. Maybe it's you. I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Get right with God. Turn away from a life of sinning. Believe in the Lord Jesus. He offers sincerely, genuinely. He says to everyone, come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm meek and lonely in heart. You'll find rest to your souls. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Repent and become a follower of Jesus and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because the promise is to you. It's to your children. It's to all who are afar off, as many as are called to the gospel. So this is the day, this is the time to get right with God, to come to the Lord Jesus. I entreat you, plead with you to turn to him if you're not right. May God be pleased to bless his holy word. Yeah, I have really, it's interesting because I have one more slide. And you see what it is? Darkness.
It's the end. And that's where the wicked are going to be. In the lake of fire. Out of darkness. Please, I entreat you, make sure that you won't be there with them. You don't have to be. There's no reason you have to be. Jesus says, Him that comes to me, I'll never, never cast out. You go to Him by faith. Call upon Him. He won't cast you out.